Blog Talk Radio. not a G, PG, or even an R-rated show, so with bad language, bodily function, dirty talk of any kind might offend you. Well, who are we kidding? This is why you show up here. Desperate Housewitches is brought to you by the amazing Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios for all of your witching needs. That's www.wickedwitchstudios.com. Tell Dorothy I sent you. All right, you guys. Oh. I've been waiting for so long to have this wonderful guest back on. I'm not even going to get all flowery with it. You know this name. The amazing Christopher Penzak is with me. Hey, Christopher. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for coming back on. As I was just telling Christopher, because I was calling my dumb self out, I was convinced that the Inner Temple of Witchcraft had been out since 2001, making it the 22nd anniversary of this book, but I'm wrong. It was 2002, and you guys can all laugh at me later. It's fine. But it's obviously a classic. (laughs) And congratulations on having a book that has stood the test of time and beyond. Um, You know, back in my day, because I'm in my 60s now, we didn't have a lot of access, and you and I have talked about this before, that access was very limited in the 80s, even the 90s, and of course, you know, I was first learning about Wicca back in the 70s, well, very late 70s, but, you know, having books, you know, that stand the test of time and are still valued is not a simple thing, especially these days when there's an influx of so many writers now, and don't get me wrong, I'm grateful for for how open it's become and how many people have, in, you know, lent their voices to their ways of doing things. But to write a classic is a pretty big deal. And I just love you. <laughs> Let me stand for Well, thank you. <laughs> I mean, That's deeply appreciated. Thank you. Well, I mean, it's a testament to the quality of your writing. And it's not just that, but the quality of you as a person. When I've spoken to people, you know, who's your favorite um, witchcraft person? Your name is always there. And it's for good reason. I think it is because you are serious-minded. You're certainly one of the kindest people in the business, um, the most thoughtful, the most generous. And I know that's a lot of flowery praise, but I think there comes a point where you need to hear that and receive it, like, into your being. Um, I know a lot of the times we get praise and it's like, oh, that, you know, it, it doesn't really strike a chord. But as you get older, knowing that you've had an impact on people really starts to make a difference. Have you experienced that? 
Absolutely. Um, I, I 100% was nodding my head here on the phone as I, as you were speaking for that. Um, I think it can be tough, you know, as different generations of teachers and elders and, you know, people who are community leaders and organizers go through it because I, I think things move so fast right now. And um, to hear things like that is so beautiful and so wonderful and not just in the, the feeling good about myself, but to see the, the interplay it's had in community and to know that now mm-hmm. the Temple of Witchcraft from the book series isn't just a, you know, a one person job. It's a whole community that's using this as part of the school that is really, you know, we're all building it together. A lot of the new references and the new anniversary editions are things I learned from my students that I want to pass on that were, you know, new ideas. So that interweaving, but, but to be appreciated is always greatly appreciated. Because um, I think sometimes it's hard <laughs> to see when you're in the middle of it, you know, what you're, what you're experiencing or what the arc sure. of this is going to be. I think if you asked me 20 years ago, you know, do you think there'll be a 20 year anniversary edition of your book or do you think you'd have a school based on it or a community and a nonprofit and all that? You know, that was the furthest thing from my mind when I was writing the book. I was just trying to put out, you know, you never know where it's going to go. So it's, it is definitely appreciated. I, there's many things I look back on some of my elders um, and some of them who are no longer here with us today, like Raven Gramasi, today is his, his feast day of his passing. And um, there are things I didn't understand at that time about you know, nostalgia and looking back and kind of looking back at legacy and, you know, uh, how it's affected people, how it hasn't affected people, what you thought your dreams and goals were as opposed to what manifested. And I don't think when I was younger, even just 10 years ago, I understood where they're coming from. And I'd say now I understand mm-hmm. it a little bit more, and I'm sure in another 10 years I'll understand it a little bit more and keep going from there. But it's 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 very gratifying and it's very honoring to hear, you know, those things. And I, I do hope to keep striving to be compassionate and generous and um, hopefully a good educator in the new books that are coming out too. Yeah, I, I'm so blown away by, you know, you as a person, obviously, and the, the thing that blows me away the most, being of the age that I am now and looking back on all of the people that helped me come up, one of the qualities about you that I find the most endearing is that you build legacy without gatekeeping. And gatekeeping is still a huge issue. Are you finding that to still be a problem? Um, you know, I think I'm a little isolated right now in the sense that I'm, I'm really working intensely in the temple community, not that I don't go out and do other events and things. Um, and I, I find that it's a little bit more of a balance. Like we've actually had some critique about, because um, our school, we've got many different levels of our school. And one aspect of our school, because it's an online school, there's a level of reporting people have to do. And in this day and age, I think a lot of times people expect a class is just you pay for a class, you pass the class, you get a certificate. Um, and that's not what we do. You know, if you, you're doing the class, right. we're really checking in with you. And, and it's a little bit of growing pains to figure out how you report and how we understand you. And sometimes people take offense to that and they think that, you know, we're trying to hold them back or gatekeep them from something. And I have to explain the difference between, um, you know, like if someone takes art lessons or dance lessons or music lessons, there's like a critical feedback that can come back. And it's not personal and it's not, you know, it's just about wanting you to go deeper with the experience. But I think in these days, sometimes sure. people think of it as gatekeeping. And it's interesting because on the Mm -hmm. other side of it, you know, we're so open, you know, we're queer, trans friendly. We're so open to, you know, any any aspect of who you are and how you identify. And we have many options for people who don't want to study that way. We're like, take this class that has no homework to it or read this book, all the materials in the book or, you know, come to a ceremony and just experience it directly. So I think in this day and age, it's really important to 
you know, have multiple avenues to be able to connect with people and, and help people find the right one for them. No, it's great because you're not so regimented that people feel like they're back in school per se. Um, you know, you kind of meet folks where they're at, and it's all about just the learning aspect is so important um, from the temple of, of witchcraft, you know, and, and nurture people where they are. And I think that's a beautiful thing because most places, unfortunately, are not able to do that. So it's right. been a real blessing for others to be able to, to, to start where they are. Yep, absolutely. And, and it's been really great to be able to train other teachers online who can then create things that are in person in their areas. You know, the biggest question we'll get is, well, why don't we have a teacher and, you know, name the place where they're at? I'm like, well, if you take the classes, that could be you. You know, if you feel like something's missing, then you can go through the process and offer it if this is the path you want to follow. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting part of it, too, because we really want to empower people to reach the, the people that are right. Whenever anybody says, you know, if I should take a class in person or online, I'm always like, if you can find an in-person person that's right for you, go for that and, and that you, should, you focus on that. But um, you know, really trying to build those communities and have the support of community. I know when I started with this, I had no support. You know, there was no temple saying here's yeah. a structure or a plan. And, you know, now to be able to, to offer that support and resources and mentorship has been, has been a lot of fun. It's been a challenge, but it's been fun. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's been a challenge. Um, do you find that people have an issue with imposter syndrome when they've taken the class and you know, you've encouraged them and empowered them to perhaps go and teach others, but do you find that people tend to shy away from that, perhaps from a feeling of not being worthy enough or, or not doing it correctly? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a huge thing in all the magical and artistic endeavors, you know. I think people can be immensely talented and can also put a lot of hard work into things. Uh, but then think that they're they're not worthy of it or they're never uh, – people often say, well, when will I know that I'll be ready to teach? And when will I know that I'll be ready to, mm -hmm. to offer a ritual or do healing or whatever it may be? And I'm like, never. You know, I wasn't ready. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't know anybody who does this who is ready. You know, it was like usually you get kind of hit over the head and, you know, you're in a situation where you're called to do it and you're the only one to do it and you're the most experienced one to do it at that time. And you just kind of learn by doing and if you get the call, you yeah. do it. You know, if I waited till I was ready, I would still be waiting. So I think you just have to go out and do it. That's but I, so true. I definitely have and empathy to... for the people who have a hard time with it. Yeah, you know, and I, I will be quite candid. I, I have always felt like, you know, when someone would say, oh, you know, do you have a coven? I'm like, nope. Oh, do you, are you <laughs> teaching anybody? Nope. Not me, not my ministry, not my calling. Um, you know, I was listening to the documentary earlier about the, the Temple of Witchcraft, which was so well done, by the way. So awesome. Thank you. Um, if you haven't seen it, you can go see it on YouTube. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, it's called Love. I'm sorry, Love. What, what was the title again, Christopher? It's Don't Love, Will, and Wisdom. No, it's all good. Love, love Will, Will, and Wisdom. wisdom. Yes. And it's wonderful. And, it, you know, there's, there's someone that represents all of us in the temple. And it's, it was just a beautifully done documentary. So I encourage everybody, if you're not aware of it, to, to look it up and watch it. It was, it was great. Um, 
But, you know, you talk about reclaiming the word religion, and I love that because I say religion, and people look at me like I'm nuts. Yeah, I find, well, (laughs) (laughs) I have to thank Lori Cabot for that. You know, Lori Cabot gave me the definition of witchcraft as art, science, and religion, and that really stuck, and, and she was the teacher of my first mentor, so that was my first entry into all of this and uh as we formed a nonprofit, you know and people say well why are you going to form a nonprofit?" or like you know you're not really a church why are you legally a church like why would you do that um and i think back mm-hmm. to all the circles of my youth and there's not one place where i circled that's still around you know for a land-based wow. tradition there's not there's not a, like it was either a store that's gone on a business it was at somebody's covenstead house who's no longer with us or their family or they sold it, they moved away, they retired. Um, you know, there's not mm-hmm. centers where the power can be anchored and built up and people can, you know, make those connections. So if we have a system for good or for ill, we have a system of nonprofits in America and religions get that nonprofit yep. status if they follow the criteria of it. You know, if others are getting those benefits, why shouldn't we? You know, and if others Absolutely. are partaking in some of the public discourse, why shouldn't we? Um, and I think Absolutely. understanding that, you know, Religion doesn't have to be prophetic. Religion doesn't have to be biblical. You know, the, the, many of the things that you would think would make us not be a religion. You could also say the same thing about forms of Buddhism. Yeah, Buddhism is recognized as religion. So if we can have these beautiful Buddhist mm-hmm. temples and we can have these beautiful Hindu temples, we can have community and we can have temple and we can have structure, you know, in, in a way that can survive any one person. I think my big mission right now as I get older is to really think about not just legacy in terms of leaving behind, but can you create something that survives the first generation, you know, and we still haven't really got that in paganism yet. Most of our elders are still around and, you know, God love it. I love that they are, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see the things we've created, how they go with the second generation, how they go with the third generation. And I I know a lot of the stuff around me wasn't ever, ever, done for that you know so I, I feel like that's that's why i want to have it set up so there's a legal thing that the temple land itself i don't own somebody else owns you know the temple owns it itself and when i'm no longer here the temple will still be here and we're doing a lot of amazing stuff this year the thing i'm most excited about right now is we've been uh, having two guest teachers from france fly out every six months special system of sacred geometry to build stone circles and sacred vortexes and um, building structures around wells and labyrinths and things like that. And we're really trying to, to bring the energy of the place into semi-permanent to permanent structures so that power can grow and people can visit. And when people come out to the temple, now we can do, you know, the full moons and the, the woods and the, the moon kind of shining through the woods and, you know, things that are the classical archetypal things that we don't always get when we're inside stores and, you know, community centers or, or just at home running online. Yeah. I, you know, and it occurs to me while you're saying all of this that I think part of the reason witchcraft is not taken seriously by non-witchcraft people is because we don't have, you know, I don't know why, but structures always make something feel more permanent. Um, even though we carry the God, you know, those of us who, who believe in gods or God or whatever carry it within us, I think having a physical structure, a physical place to go is so important because it it displays that permanence. It is a physical monument saying 
this is where we are. We do exist. We do carry on in spite of certain changes. It's not something that just flies with the wind. So that is so important, and, and I hope that we get to see more places like this, like the Temple of Witchcraft, where people can go and and have a physical place to be, to grow together and to learn together. It's so important to display to the the rest of the world. We are very serious about what we believe, as serious as you. And we want the same respect. And we want the same benefits that the government gives you to give to us. I think that is how it should work. If if we're willing to let churches you know, Judeo-Christians get away with not having to pay taxes. Well, why should we uh, for our religious structures? I, I, I think it's absolutely, they're doing it exactly the way it should be done. So I hope other people will take heart, folks who want to build something lasting, and do it. It's not that it's easy, certainly not. Christopher, you said it's a, it's a constant <laughs> series of things that you have to do, yep. and, you know, you've, you've got to be diligent and, and vigilant to protect it, I would think, especially in mm-hmm. some really questionable Absolutely. times, like, we're, you know, especially in these questionable political times that we're going through right now. I mean, we have an upcoming uh, presidential election next year that, you know, I'm, I'm still shaking my head over what could possibly happen, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's very important. Yeah. When we incorporated, things were a little bit more optimistic, and then the world changed. And, you know, it was that, that sobering yeah. thought to think as the world has changed. So, like, we're, you know, people often talk today about, you know, being doxxed and having your, your public information available. I'm like, yeah. oh, I did that to myself because I live at the place that's the public institution, you know. So that, that definitely was illuminated yeah. in our family. But thankfully, we've had a very supportive community, both in the witchcraft world and for the most part, once they got over the initial shock of, like, um, who we were and what was happening, I remember the very early board meetings, we'd have to go to the town to get all the permits and to get all the legal stuff and, you know, and, and having to go through that whole process, having to bring in a lawyer and um, having somebody, and, and there's an opportunity for people of the public just to come up and speak and speak their mind about it. And one person was very adamant about, like, well, what is a religion and why do they count as a religion? And our lawyer had to get up and explain the legal definition of a religion and how we met it and how we went through that whole process. And then his response sort of yeah. was like, Oh, I didn't know that, you know, and then he kind of quieted down and, and uh, I've had people who spoke out against us because I think they didn't understand what we were later come to the house yeah. and, and uh, welcome us and, and be kind about it. Every so often we get a little, little weirdness, but you know, we, it's part of the course of things. I remember actually having somebody walk on the street across the street from us and the late night and the windows were open and, and you could just hear quiet street and, People were talking, and this couple walked by. They're like, oh, that's the Satanist house in Salem. And I wanted to yell at the window, nope, technically witches, it's different. But, you know, it was yeah. interesting to see and, and the different rumors that are in the community. But um, I think it's been very important to have that connection and, and to realize it's inner and outer. You know, when we think about all the places we, we go to pilgrimage for, so many of the ancient mm-hmm. pagan sites, they're ruins. You know, so we're going to these far off places to see ruins, which I think is beautiful and has a great energy and it connects us to the history. Um, but if we've been around enough in the modern sense, now we need to start creating the things in the outer world that can help anchor it, you know, and, and that's been an important part, both yeah. in terms of tradition and saving lore and 
um, in terms of the way the world is having, you know, ethical responsibilities because, you know, as you are saying before, back in the 70s and 80s, you never knew what was going on behind closed doors. So sometimes it was great. Sometimes yeah. it wasn't so great. So knowing you could talk Absolutely. to somebody outside of your immediate teacher and say, hey, I think this went a little weird or what's the protocol for this or I need some help. Um, and then to right. actually create the physical spaces. Those have all been really, really positive, good blessings for us as a community. Uh, it hasn't been easy, but definitely has been good. We're still trying to fundraise to, to build our community center because the, the community has kept us, and I can't argue with it about it, but it's been interesting. The community has definitely kept us within the letter of the law. So, you know, if we're going to uh-huh. be building or rebuilding structures, it's, it's construction's expensive these days, so we're still still fundraising for that portion of it. So tell me about the goals for the fundraising and, and how people can contribute. So um, as a tax-exempt religious institution, technically we are legally a church. Um, people can make mm-hmm. donations to the temple. So, so what are plans, and those are fully tax-deductible. Um, you can find information on templeofwitchcraft.org. You can donate through PayPal. You can send us a check, any of those types of things. Um, but our, our goal for it and what we're really raising funds for is the land that we have in Salem, New Hampshire, is an old Victorian house, a cottage, and a mm-hmm. barn. Um, and sadly, the barn is not up to the building standards to have it operate as a community center. So we have to rebuild the barn, expand it a bit, um, and make it into, you know, what would be a, a suitable community center. The idea of it, we're going to have a shop for practitioners to purchase materials and have people as part of their education learn how to make those materials, harvest the herbs in the land, you know, that type of typical but old world witch shop. Um, part of it will be the actual temple and classroom space. Uh, and then we're going to be working with um, having things like food pantry and other types of social support that we can do. Um, but all of that, you know, has to be accessible and up to building code and all that. So, you know, we've been raising funds for that. We do various fundraiser events um, over time. So if you're on our mailing list, you'll see about that. So sometimes we'll auction special things off or we'll have um, special things you can purchase where all the things go to to the fundraising. We do an event every February online called Temple Hearth, and it's an online educational weekend, and all the proceeds to that yeah. go directly to the, the, the uh, fundraising for that. Um, so, yeah, those are the main ways, and that's, that's really our goals of what we're trying to do. And on the landscape itself, we're building stone circles, and we're building labyrinths and uh, cutting trails through the woods. We have about five acres, and uh, it's just large enough but not too big. So uh, it's a good way for us to to get people back to the land and to the gardens. That's wonderful. Do you ever do um, uh, fundraising auctions online as a, as a live uh, so thing for, for people to participate in? That is an interesting thing, and I'm not um, quelling anybody who's doing it because I think it, it may differ in different places. Um, but the legality of that and how it crosses lines and where you have to fill out the permits um, makes it quite a uh-huh. difficult thing because anything that crosses state ah. lines is difficult. So we've also been advised by our lawyers. That's not an easy thing for us to do. So we do a lot of auction stuff in the town we're in because we can get a permit for it. Gotcha. Um, but anything that's gambling right. that's over state lines can be kind of difficult. We've already been yelled at by that by our lawyers. So we try to keep within the law. Oh, wow. It's a good law-abiding organization. <laughs> wow. It, you know, I don't think folks realize the legalities that go into such an undertaking it's not like you right. just buy a building and poof, it, the, everything's done. You know, there are, there are legal ramifications that have to be examined and adhered to in order to have Absolutely. a religious institution of any kind. And um, 
we are no exception to that. I'm, I'm, that's a lot. That's, that's a whole lot. Yeah. I think that is why a lot of people do not do what you do. I don't think a lot of people have the heart, stomach, or ability to, to want to fight through all of that. Um, tell me about it, it, what, it, you, what you find rewarding about it so that it will encourage people um, <laughs> in spite of some of the difficulties uh, that we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think once you get through the majority of it, it's pretty solid. It's the process of getting through the majority of it that can be a little harrowing. Um, to encourage yeah. people who want to do it, I'd say the, the best encouragement I would have is find someone else that has done it that you can have a little solidarity uh-huh. with, and then once you do it, uh-huh. offer that solidarity to the next person. <laughs> you know, I think if we all help each other, it right. becomes a much easier process. Um, I, yeah. Once it's created, I think it's, it's been wonderful, and I, I love having the structure. I love having the support. I'm not always in love with administration because that's tough, but that's part of the deal. You know, if you're going to do it any type of, even if it's a nonprofit church, it's got administration to it. Um, but I, I think there's an immense satisfaction of once you open the doors and you have people coming through and you're able to host the actual magical experiences that, you know, yeah. I have no words for how rewarding it is. The stuff getting to it, uh, I don't think it's bad to talk about it, but I think it's, um, there's many things that I wished I knew going into it. I still would have done it, but it would have been helpful to, yeah. to know. So sometimes when I talk to people, they're like, it sounds like you're trying to talk me out of it. I'm like, oh, absolutely no, I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I just, I think people should be fully informed when they go into stuff. And, you know, I'll tell such people, I'm like, yeah. oh, if you want to look at our papers, I'll, I'll show that to you. But it's, it's not an easy process, even if you have legal help and you can feel like they're discriminating against you for, for your unique background compared to a, a more traditional church. But um, I remember having sure. uh, our tax person um, who was the part of the IRS that was handling our application. And I was very exacerbated at, at one point. And, and, you know, I'm sure she could hear it in my voice. And she said, sir, um, <laughs> she goes, it sounds like you're really frustrated. She goes, I just, and she was in California. She's like, we're in California here, even though we're part of the federal government. And, you know, I've seen all sorts of things. And I know all sorts of things. This might be really tough for you, but this is just standard process for us. We're not, we're not persecuting you in any particular way. It's just, you know, part of the process of getting through it. We just don't understand what you do. So we have to ask. And when she said that, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. And, you know, we were able to get through the questions. But at the time, it can seem like, oh, you know, you're holding us to a different standard. I think it's just they don't know our terminology. So it it causes more questions, which I get. In retrospect, I get. You know, when she said that, it really opened it up and then things things got easier. But other things have been hard, you know, like, um, we're in a residential zone, and, you know, on paper it looks like once you have a building and it's owned by an institution, you can open up a, a space within that home to be public, but they don't tell you things like you have to get a parking lot approved. And if the parking, if the driveway does not handle the amount of people that can fit into the house, then you legally have to expand it. And parking lots need, you know, lighting and certain things that are said. I was like, oh, I, nobody told me any of that. I thought we just, you know. We, we made the hurdle of buying the yeah. building. Well, let's just open up, you know, or I thought very easily and we had advice that turned out to be wrong from some folks, but we thought, Oh, we could just open up the barn at some type of community center, but because it didn't fit quite building codes and things, we couldn't open it publicly. And then little things like insurance, you know, a lot of places don't want to insure witchcraft temple. So finding that can be tough too. All things that you can get through, but it's it's not easy. And having a really good team of people, I'd say the thing that really 
has bolstered my morale and has been really loving and wonderful in my life is having that core group of people who believe in what you're doing, um, who are dedicated to it, even if they're most people are dedicated to it part-time, but are dedicated to it um, and just show up to be a part of the process has been so amazing. Wow. So opening a center like this obviously is not for everyone, but I would (laughs) listen, you know, listening, you know, to you, I would hope it encourages my listeners to want to support you in what you're doing and make contributions to the temple because, as you just heard, there's a whole litany of things that have to be gone through (laughs) legal-wise and you know, just being in the area where everyone is not the same and perhaps doesn't agree with what you're doing, you know, it's a it's a huge undertaking, and I think it's very important to support the places that we have that represent us, even if they're not in our neighborhood. Obviously, I would love to have a temple of witchcraft in North Carolina where I am. That's not logistically possible right now. I get that. Um, right. <laughs> but I can still support you because you are still in the world representing my beliefs. And I think, you know, anything we can do to, to keep that going, to keep these institutions in place uh, by whatever means we can support them is important. So I would encourage my listeners to please contribute um, Thank you. to Temple of Witchcraft. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's obviously a worthy cause, and it represents us in the world, and and that's a very important thing to have. Um, and and I'd say someday, you, you know, well, I was going to say someday. Oh, I hope we will have something there for you. We have we have one of our um, communities, satellite communities, that's growing into a branch um, is in Mississippi. So who would have thought that? So you know, oh. you never know where where things will take root and where where things will grow. So um, our hope really is that we're doing all this, even the difficult parts. So it'll be much easier yeah. for the next generation, and we'll have a playbook of, of how to do it, and we'll already be legally recognized so that things can branch out from that, and people won't have to do as much as we're doing right now. So that's my hope. That's my dream. It's a beautiful dream, and I encourage that dream. And I <laughs> wish I had had the wherewithal to have started something many, many years ago. I'm in my 60s now. I'm a little tired. If anybody wants to start one here, I'll be certainly willing to help. Um, But I do want to deviate right now because I want to talk about this amazing oracle deck, the magical botanical oracle, Plants from the Witch's Garden, that you did with Maxine Miller. Now, before I start asking you questions, I just have to say I did a reading for myself, the nine card reading, and that's in the book, and I took a, a, a snapshot of it because it is very rare that I give myself a reading with an oracle deck that makes me feel bad about myself in the most wonderful oh. way. I was, no, no, it was great, and it was like I have just been called out by an oracle deck. I'm embarrassed. Okay, it's not supposed to work that well right out of the box. I told on myself with it, and I went, okay, I guess we're connected. So tell tell the folks about this oracle deck. What was the genesis of this? You know, really, it's the. I, I have to give credit as much as I love to be a part of it. It was really the genius of, of Maxine Miller. 
Um, she does wonderful artwork and, and so many pagan themes, mm-hmm. but she got into plants. And uh, and we've been friends for years, and, and we'd be at different events, particularly we're out in California a lot at an event called PantheaCon. She would vend there, and I would teach there, um, and got to be friendly yeah. over the years. And uh, when she got to some of the baneful herbs, we started having conversations, and um, she might have attended one of my plant magic classes at PantheaCon, and, and we talked about it. And she asked to use an invocation for her mandrake prints. And I gave her permission for that. Mm. And she sent me some beautiful stuff. It was really, really wonderful. Um, and then she talked about wanting to do some type of oracle deck. And she'd put out a Celtic deities oracle deck with Raven Gramasi. Um, and I knew about that and mm-hmm. was a fan of that. So I sort of assumed that's what she wanted to do. And so when she, she showed me some of the artwork, I said, oh, well, if you, you, know, you need someone to write the booklet, um, with Raven no longer being with us, if you want me to write the booklet, sure, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to help you with that. Um, and she said yes and was very excited. And we started collaborating on things. And um, she had some prints she already had that we turned into cards. And then we started deciding on what plants to use to continue onward. It was a very, you know, despite the pun of, of botanical stuff, it was a very organic process. I didn't necessarily have a, a pattern or a vision. It, I really let her and the spirits kind of lead it, which I think is why it's so contacted and connected to the spirits. I've had a lot of feedback from people saying I really felt their presences and I really feel them kind of coming out through the cards with me, which has been great. And I think I credit that to Maxine. I think I just wrote about what I felt and what I knew about the cards kind of coming through. Um, And so it was just really a wonderful process. And then uh, her last deck she self-published or with a smaller company. And she said, oh, do you think we should, you know, be looking someplace else for it? And, uh, you know, we looked into some other companies and and we found Los Garabeo, uh, which is an Italian company Uh that is distributed by Llewellyn. So, um, I like their work. I met them years and years ago at a, a metaphysical conference for publishing, and uh, they were lovely folks. Yeah. So uh, once she decided that's what we're going to go with, we went with that. And it's been kind of fun and international to, to be working with another international publisher. And uh, I think the deck in the book came out beautifully. I was so impressed with what they did with it. And sometimes with cards and Oracle decks and things, people just kind of print them to print them out. But they did such a beautiful job with it. And they've been so supportive with, like, custom bags and custom layout cloths and things like that. Um, a little bit more of it's yeah. available in Europe than it is here in America, but still, and they put it out in so many different languages simultaneously. So we've got decks kind of all across Europe in different languages, which has been lovely. Wonderful. I mean, and I have to be a hundred percent candid with you. Um, I'm not particularly a botanical witch. Um, for me, I'm, I'm intrigued by the box. I'm intrigued by just the tech. Just the texture of it was super cool. I I can't describe it, but I'm not I'm not particularly into plants. And when you do a reading and the card reads you to filth, and you kind of get embarrassed of yourself for a minute there, <laughs> that's a testament to the writing and the cards, and and not necessarily me being into plants as much as the cards have a message, shut up and listen. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. Yeah, I, um, so yeah. I think of it as like a really spirit deck, you know. I think of it it's it's really plant is. spirits, but I think it's really a spirit deck. And I'll I'll share a secret with you. I'm not very much of an oracle person, so it's kind of ironic that I'm doing an oracle deck. But I, I think before this, I was sort of a tarot snob and. You know, I look at some Oracle decks, and there's a lot, there's good Oracle decks that are out there, but there's a large number of bad Oracle decks out there. Um, and I think no when I look at Oracles, I'm always like, oh, it's it's not tarot. You know, like I'm a classic occultist tarot guy. Um, 
But, you know, we talked about that and we said, well, we don't want to do a botanical tarot deck. It's not, these are not tarot. Um, so we just really focused on the spirit. And I think the spirits of the plants really came through. It's, it's kind of amazing, you know, because not too long ago I was talking to Laura Tempest-Zakroff, who has done a couple of Oracle decks at this point, And I said to her, you know, I, I wonder, did I really need another Oracle deck? And sure enough, yeah, I did. And, you know, <laughs> the thought crossed my mind with this deck as well. And it was like, do you really need another Oracle deck? And I'm like, I guess I did because it read me to filth. It was very interesting. Um, yeah, I like I yeah, said, her, I took a screenshot of, of it so I, so I could reference it. I was, like, blown away. I'm sorry, you were saying about Laura? Yeah, I was going to say, she's one of the exceptions to the really good Oracle decks, too. Like, I always get the decks that she puts out, and I just love her stuff. So, um, for me, it's always yeah. about, is an artist contacted? She's definitely contacted. Maxine's definitely contacted. Like, spirits work through them. And definitely. I think if that happens, then it's a great deck. And, you know, there's other Oracle decks that are just kind of computer-generated. Not that computer art can't be good, but um, I don't think they always have the same spirit to them. We, you and I could talk for two hours about AI and all of that. <laughs> Believe me, I've had this conversation True. repeatedly. I mean, to be honest with you, and I don't care if I throw shade because I, I just don't give a shit like that. My feeling about art is that art has to be loved and respected and created. Now, obviously, if you are creating something from your soul and you're doing it through a computer, that's one thing. But when you mm -hmm. are just tweaking existing images of somebody else's work, fuck you. No. Not cool. Yeah. That's my opinion. That's yeah, just no, my I, opinion. I, I, I'm old school classical for art, for music, for yep. so many things. And um, my, my concern, and I mean, I, I will say I'm not educated enough to know all the sides of it, but talking to my artist friends, my concern is when the AI kind of generated stuff um, references and uses other artists' work to such a detail. Exactly. And those artists, those living artists, don't get compensated. I have a problem with that, you know. It, it's really I, amazing same. all the things that AI can do and, and can't do, and I, I respect it on one level, but I think if it's going to put artists out of business or if it's not going to respect their work and their copyright. And uh, I had a friend who got an, an AI or got connected to an AI engine to write stuff, and now the big thing for websites and authors is, like, have AI generate the content for your website. Um, and so he just funnily put in, he's like, oh, tell me about Christopher Penzak. And he sent me the, the info. And I'd say like 90% of it was accurate. It was really beautifully written. But there was 10% mm -hmm. of it that was so inaccurate. I don't know how it generated it. But like it put in this biography that it wrote of me that I, I have a degree in Chinese, a master's degree in Chinese medicine, which I do not, you know. But I'm like, what a random thing to throw into a biography that a, a computer would generate. So uh, I, I always find it interesting. I'm, I'm wondering with the art, like what other weird things get snuck in that we might not know about. Did you once perhaps write a review of a Chinese restaurant? I mean, it's very possible that it <laughs> incorporated <laughs> things that you may have said over time. You know, believe it or not, they also have that for podcasts. You know, if you give, you mm -hmm. know, let us listen to your podcast and we'll write a whole thing about it. And I'm like, no. Thank you. I, no, I don't yeah. want help. Appreciate you. Um, <laughs> so interesting you say that because I think I. Okay. I was gonna say I think I did a review of an Asian medicine book like 
20 years ago. I think that's the only connection uh-huh. I have to that. So that perhaps they found that and, and incorporated that. That's- See, and that's the frightening thing about the way AI is exploding right now. I mean, it was always going to be a force to be reckoned with as far as being able to generate content. And it's scary because we saw what happened in in an election when bots create content. They are not always meant for good, as we know. And I'm... And I guess that's why my feet are kind of stuck when it comes to AI-generated content and artwork specifically because I've seen friends get ripped off. I've seen, you know, it's bad enough when you have impersonator accounts and you don't know, you don't know where they're being generated from. You don't even know if they're coming from this country. I mean, there's just so many ways that artists are getting robbed that I'm like, no, I don't want – there's certain things that scare me enough that I have a wall up about. So that's just me being old perhaps, but I'm very protective of artists <laughs> I'm, because I'm right there with not you. <laughs> enough, there's not enough quality art being supported. I mean, when you can go to Walmart and spend $5 on a plastic version of something that somebody – Hand created in wood for 200. It's it's still. I have a hard time with it because to me it's like, well, do we want art to get to everyone? Yeah, but is that really art? Because you stole from somebody who put blood, sweat, and tears into it. I just I'm really protective of artists because I just see them get robbed all the time, and it makes me kind of crazy. But that's me. Yeah, I can I can be right there with you on that. Absolutely. Do you find people copying your work? Do you find a lot of plagiarism out in the marketplace of things you've written? Um, not in a while. I think the thing that I come across the most, and I have I used to get upset with it, and now I just have resigned myself that I can't be upset all the time, um, is pirated copies of books. Um, and it's still Ooh. happening now. I, I get hear about it less, but because um, it's so easily now with a few tricks to be able to take, like, ebooks and kindles and things like that and save them as pdfs mm-hmm. or um, some people go to the trouble of scanning a whole book and posting it up just to, to kind of put it up um and the the lack of people understanding that that's not okay you know um that that's so uh, there was a time when i would say once or twice a week i got a really well-mentioned well-intentioned person notifying me that my books were being pirated someplace and there's a whole process you have to go through with the website and if it's on facebook wow. it's kind of useless because facebook doesn't care and um, for a while, you had to get the publisher involved because the publisher technically holds the license for the book, so you as the author can't report it. And you know, it just got overwhelming for a while. And I'm just, I have just had to resign myself to a, the fact that there's a certain level of it being that you know, if somebody finds a book that they really like and they got a pirated copy, then they'll go out and you know, maybe check out my other work or come to a class or something. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was tough to think of, and and just having the people who um, were very adamant about why they were justified just to, to post a lot of free books from authors who are living. I, I get if a book is out of print. I get if a book is, you know, an old grimoire or something that's not, not in copied and you want to have a copy for the information of it. But for people who are doing this as a part of their vocation and supporting their families and supporting their community, um, it was hard to see and, and deal with some of that. So I see that like more, more whole cloth copying of books than plagiarism of parts of things. Um, I haven't seen too uh-huh. much of that. I know that's a big thing right now, but I've not, I've not come across too much of it. 
Well, that's good because, as you mentioned, there's, there seems to be a lot of it going on, and it's, again, that's very distressing. I know, people, you know, right. some folks have the idea right. that, oh, well, you know, this should be free information if we're going to grow community, and it's like community has to fucking eat, okay? People need yeah, to pay bills. And most of us do lots of free things. Like, you know, I do a free article every month. You know, I offer scholarships to a lot of my classes and, you know, there's a lot of opportunities if you're struggling about things, but um, I think, and I, I, for me, even it's the permission. Like I've talked to some authors who say, oh, I don't care um, if my books are posted, you know, it's fine. I've been paid for that. And I get that too. And I respect that if that's how they feel. Um, but for me, it's the consent or the permission. If someone doesn't care if their books get posted and their publisher doesn't care if their books get posted, then sure, that's one thing. But if, if no one's asked you, you know, that's another thing. Yeah, I mean, I liken it to the fact that I have a lot of clothing in my closet. Some of it I haven't worn in a while. That doesn't mean you can just come in and pick out what you want and leave my house with my clothes. Right. That's my shit. I worked hard for that <laughs> shit. I, I think some of it has been an understanding or misunderstanding in the media age because so much, quote, content gets produced for free with the idea that, you know, if you if somebody gets enough clicks and monetizes their social media or, you know, is on YouTube and sells advertisements and that's how they get paid. Um, and I think sometimes people just don't make the, the click over or understand that, you know, if you post one of my books, I'm not getting a click for that or I'm not getting, you know, compensated for that or I'm not, you know, it's not it's not the same thing as posting a video on TikTok. It's not the same thing as, as posting a free article. It's not the same thing as posting something to Facebook, which we all do to help promote our work and help support the community. But uh, it's just interesting. Sure. I think our attitudes around media and printing are changing. And um, I think for folks like us, it could be harder because we're used to one way of doing it. And people, you know, I, as someone said to me, like, do we even need witchcraft books anymore? I was like, well, I think there's always going to be something to say. And I think there's always going to be a new way to say old things. And I think hopefully people are taking things in new directions. So I was like, yeah, I think we still need books. But, you know, their person, that person I was speaking to was like, oh, I think I learned everything off of videos. And that's great if that's oh, what you want or where you're finding the information. But um, I feel like even the best video, uh, I'm looking for a little bit more nuance and depth. Absolutely. I, uh, let me not age myself more than I already have, but <laughs> there is something about, no, honestly, Christopher, there's something about holding a book and ho taking somebody's knowledge and appreciating it, referencing it, going back to it over time, learning more from it, picking up the pieces that you may have missed the first time. And there's certain mm. things, while, while video is very, I'm sorry, it's easy, it's someone sitting in front of you telling you what to do. Having a written book, it gives you the chance to have all of the basics, and then if you want to start experimenting from there, that's fine. My feeling is, having been traditionally trained as I was in Gardnerianism, not quite traditional, but he called us Gardenias. Yeah, we were not strict <laughs> Gardnerians. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that you don't know what rules to break until you know the rules. Whichever right. rules they are, Gardnerianism, Alexandrianism, whatever it is, whatever it is, know all of the basics first. 
books are so important, and I'm so afraid that books are going away because of attitudes like that. You can't have everything handed to you and still have the same appreciation of it. You know what I mean? Somebody puts tears into a book and put their knowledge into a book so that generations will experience it long You know, we had a power outage the other day, and I had, oh, wow, books, incredible books. <laughs> I had no video for two hours. I had no cell phone. I had no video. I was not being entertained by anyone. Books are such a beautiful thing to have. I, I hope they never, ever, ever go away. Oh, God, that me scares too. me. The fact, me that too. People, the fact that people would think that that's something that could be disposed of, just really, I find something extremely disturbing about that. Well, I think with books, you can have a relationship with the book, and it's not quite the same as a relationship with the teacher, but it's still a relationship. Like, there's books that are old friends that I go back to and reread, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you know. Um, and I keep learning something new or I understand a new nuance of something. Um, so I, I do think it's very relationship-based, even though it's it's not a living yes. person. It's coming from that living person. Right. And not that videos don't come from living people, but I've never had a relationship with a video kind of in the same way I've had a relationship with a book. Absolutely not. And there are things, there are, there are, there are subtleties, there are nuances um, that you can't get in a half-hour video. I mean, if you read Inner Temple of Witchcraft, you would take hours upon hours upon hours. It would have to be an extensive video mm -hmm. series because it's not just about reading what you've already written. I'm sure that there is so much more that you would add at this point. I just don't see how video can communicate all of the nuances things like you can in your book. And this is why yeah. your books are so valuable. Even with audiobook, people will sometimes get mad at me and say, well, why don't you have more audiobooks of your stuff out? And I like audiobooks for a lot of things. Um, and the first thing I have to tell them is like, oh, the author doesn't control that. The publisher controls that, you know. Um, but even mm -hmm. for the types of books that I do, and I have some books in audiobook, but um, it's very hard because they're a mixture of, of talk and history and personal sharing right. and also exercise and ritual. And that gets a little weird in audiobooks. So like if you're like exercise 12, entering the inner temple, step one, like it's not the same thing as having like when I recorded the meditation CDs for it, but they can't really inter extrapolate, you know, those types of things into a book. So the audiobook doesn't become the same experience as reading it, you know? So I respect At people all. who need it's the audiobooks or want the audiobooks and, and, you know, let them do that. But at the same time, it's like I don't have control over that, and I don't think you're going to quite get the same experience out of it. It can be a good supplement, um, but it's still, as a textbook, is you know, it's good to have it and be able to see it and read out of it. And I would also say that while video is very nice, having a book that you can go back to and reference and pick up the nuances from is so important. Um, and it's not entertainment. To me, audiobooks, and no shade on this at all, because people learn the way they learn. Audiobooks, for me, are to be entertained. A book like The Inner Temple of Witchcraft, not to mention the 9,000 other books you've written, it's not, <laughs> it's not entertainment. This is, you know, it goes back to witchcraft being a serious practice, 
TV. And I think right. we're in such a eager to be entertained society that we forget that this is this is what we actually believe in. It's not for our entertainment. This is a path that we follow. There's no difference between the Bible and any other religious text, except our texts have more, I feel, useful information on how we practice. Um, So I, I believe it deserves the same respect. Am I crazy for thinking that? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think people, you know, from a Christian paradigm would might, might question that. Apples and oranges, too. I think the Bible is a collection of disparate texts, you know, made mm-hmm. into a, a mythos to support, you know, a particular religious point of view. I think our books are like grimoires in the sense, even the modern books are like grimoires in the sense that they're grammaries, they're practices, they're notebooks, they're, you know, one person sharing to the next generation how to do things, their, you know, rituals and formulas and things. I know that was one of the things I tried to explain to somebody. I'm like, I think the book, some of the books I've written would be boring as audiobooks because it would just be like, you know, Samhain incense, you know, two parts myrrh, three parts patchouli. Like nobody wants to read that. You never hear that read to them, you know? Um, so I, yeah. I think it's, it's an interesting take. I think, you know, I compare some of the uh, mythologies that we have or like things written from the Book of Shadows from a, a British traditional Wicca sense or you know, even some of the rituals and poetries we do in the Temple of Witchcraft. And I think that's just as valid, you know, as biblical stories. I think that's just as valid as Buddha Sutras. Yeah. I think that's just as valid as parts of, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, things like that. They're all just different different artistic expressions of belief and culture. Um, but I think that's a big part yeah. of what's growing in witchcraft. You know, I, I think a lot of witches don't recognize that. So, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, we're both old enough and, and doing things like uh, there's new generations that look at the public parts of the traditional book of shadows and think, oh, there's nothing in there for me. And I'm like, oh, well, this is the foundation of so much of what we do, even if it's not your practice. It's good to read it. It's uh-huh. good to, to say the charge of the goddess out loud. It's good to talk about the descent of the goddess. It's, you know, look at those things and, and kind of approaching them. I try to tell my students today, try to approach even the modern things that were written in the 40s and 50s and 60s, almost like you'd approach a Buddhist sutra. And, you know, what are the hidden meanings in there and what were they trying to convey and what's the symbolism? Even if it's not what you're practicing, it's it's where you come from. Absolutely. You are, oh my God, I just love having time with you. And I've talked your ear off incessantly for the last almost hour. So before we go... <laughs> because I promised you we'd be done by five. Um, Before we go, please tell folks again how to catch up with you and how to contribute to the temple. Sure. So the the main place where you can find my main work um, and support the temple is the Temple of Witchcraft website. So it's templeofwitchcraft.org. No dots, spaces, or dashes. It's templeofwitchcraft.org. Um, and that gives your community, the school that we're doing. There's a button to donate if you'd like to donate, if you want to read more about our history and our bylaws. All that stuff is there. Um, we do tons of articles, so go searching in the search bar if you want to look for things. And uh, every month I try to do an article, and we've got folks who do astrology and numerology and share other poetry and things that are going on. So it's a very active community. I'm very proud of, of all the things that all of us are doing. Um, if you're interested primarily in the work that I'm doing as an author, you can find me at ChristopherPenzak.com. 
um, and that gives you my classes that are my non-temple classes, my travel schedule if I'm going to be traveling, and uh, has an online store for some of my books and some of my less known, but you know, very interesting books for the the new work I'm doing through Copper Cauldron. Um, and then you can find me on most social medias. I'm on Facebook. I've got a personal and professional page. I'm on Twitter at, at, at Penzac. I'm on Instagram at Christopher Penzac. Um, and I think those are the main ones. I don't do TikTok. So uh, those are the, the biggies that you can find me. And, and I'm pretty accessible. If you can, you know, want to send me a message there, you want to send me a message to my website, I try to respond to as much as I can. Christopher, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to hang out with me. You're quite welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun. Thank you. Absolutely. And um, hopefully it will be less than three years until I get to do this with you again. Excellent. Thanks so much. I'm really bad with reminders, so send me a little reminder and we'll make more new I know. plans. <laughs> All, right, All right, will do. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care and blessed Take be. Take care. Be well. Blessed be. Love him to pieces. Isn't he amazing? All right, guys, that's it for this week. I will see you next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Love you all. Be safe. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.